and welcome to episode number 170 of the Lions Podcast, brought to you by BetMGM. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Stephen Andrews, where we run down all the big bets, all the big news, all the big happenings in this crazy gambling industry of ours. You can find us on the Twitter machine, if you so choose, at MattBrownM2, at StephenAndrews1. You can follow us for free. It, it, it costs you absolutely nothing, so smash the button and uh, get all of our horrible takes on everything that has to do with the sports world. So what we'll do is we'll talk some UFC 263 with Dan Stupp, a former uh, editor-in-chief of MMA Junkie, now works with us here. So we'll talk to him. We'll talk some soccer with Alex Blowers as well. We will also talk the big fallout of the John Rahm decision. We will also talk the big trade of Julio Jones. But Stephen, let's kick things off here with the NBA. What we have here is, I would say, unless you would disagree, I would say kind of a chalky uh, results so far in the NBA as who has advanced and what is going on. The final eight teams Hawks, Sixers, Clippers, Jazz, Nuggets, Suns, Nets, and Bucks. Uh, I find that to be fairly chalky. And so, um, you know, when I look at this, I think the only thing that surprised me, I guess, just a little bit in round one would be how much the Clippers struggled with the Mavericks. Outside of that, I think everything pretty much went to plan for how I expected it to go um but the Clippers struggling as much as they did with the Mavericks and I should say struggling as much as they did with Luka Doncic because he was basically a one-man team I guess would be the only thing that wasn't just complete chalk for me in round one yeah and I'm, I don't know about you I am feeling more and more confident about the Phoenix Suns they look awesome I mean CP3 looks like he's found the fountain of youth they are a pretty darn efficient three-point shooting team um, you know, we we've talked in previous episodes about how confident we were to look at, at the value in them in Western Conference futures. I'm feeling even more confident in that, um, regardless of if they get by the Nuggets and play uh, the Jazz or the Clippers. Uh, with what you said about the Clippers, I agree with you. They look vulnerable. Um, the Jazz don't exactly have world beaters on their team. They're a good system. But I mean, I would take the talent right there with the Suns just as much as the Jazz. So um, you know, love where we're sitting right now with our Suns futures. And in the Eastern Conference, I added another bet to my NBA playoff account uh, this morning, actually, uh, as, as we record this on Tuesday. Um, I was looking around and, and, you know, the Nets are shorter than two to one right now to win the NBA title. And, um, you know, basically Kevin Durant at most shops at BetMGM, he's about plus 150 at this point to win finals MVP. Uh, but he was still floating around at plus 300 at some spots to win finals MVP. And at this point, with what the Eastern Conference looks like, uh, with how bad the Bucks looked and Joel Embiid injured, and the Nets likely to be really heavy favorites in the NBA Finals as well, uh, I, I felt comfortable and I added Kevin Durant at plus 300 yeah. to win finals MVP at this point. Yeah, I don't hate that at all, especially if you think that the Nets are going to roll. I mean, like you said, the Nets right now at BetMGM plus 115 to win the whole thing. Durant plus 150 for finals MVP. So you're actually getting a little bit more bang for your buck there. Maybe if you wanted to head just a little bit, you split, the, you know, whatever your your stake would be between the two. But um, I, I think that that is a really good way to go about it because the way that he's gone now, we know it's not going to be hardened because now he's missed games. And yes, Kyrie's been great. But uh, Durant has been elite. And so uh, Durant at 150 for sure. Speaking of those tournament odds here, uh, Nets plus 115, Jazz at four to one, Clippers five to one, Suns seven and a half, Bucks 14, Sixers 14, Hawks 22, and the Nuggets 25. Um, I think everything is priced pretty appropriately, Stephen. When you look at this, I am not as big of a believer in the Jazz as maybe this four to one. Uh, dictates here. I think it's going to be a dogfight with the Clippers in that series. And so I would not bet them at four to one. I have no problem if you want to take the Nets at, at plus money still, even as short as the plus money is, because I do believe they're that much better than just about everybody out there. Um, Suns at 750, I, as we've talked about here on the podcast, you know, I, I have Suns futures. I have Suns futures from way earlier in the season. So I've got a big bloated number, uh, even at seven and a half. I think there's a decent chance the Suns could make it out of the uh, could go ahead and make it out of the the West. And so I, I don't hate that either. 
I don't like the way the Bucks look. 14 to 1, no good for me. Sixers 14 to 1, no good for me. Hawks at 22. I could understand if you had fallen in love with the Hawks if you wanted to go there, but their chance of beating the Nets, I think, is slim to none. And then the Nuggets, just without Jamal Murray, I don't know if they're going to have the firepower as well. So it's kind of two bets for me or nothing. It'd be Nets or Suns. And then from there, I think I'm just, I would just watch. 100% agree with you. Um, you know, the, the Nets to me would be the only, uh, you know, big unit bet I would make at this point. If I want to try and dabble on some value, I try and get the Suns to come out of the West. Uh, but overall, I, I just think the value is gone at this point in the futures market, uh, unless you just want to go all in on, on the Brooklyn Nets, which I don't think would be the worst thing. I mean, that that to me right now looks like the value. I don't know who's going to beat them at this point. Um, and if anything, I'm, I'm still looking at... Um, you know, Phoenix in the West, just the fact that they avoid the top two teams in the odds board right now. Um, and, and I mean, if you think the Hawks are going to beat the Sixers and they looked pretty darn good up until the last three minutes of game one, and we'll see what happens in game two. I, we were talking before the show. I, I can't figure out in my head how the Hawks did what they did in game one as four and a half point dogs. And now they're six point dogs in game two. So, um, there's still big belief in Joel Embiid's health, I guess, to to be able to carry the Sixers because he is their team. They their lineups and net ratings without Joel Embiid are pathetic. So they need him for sure. So I mean, maybe I would dabble on a series price on the Hawks right now, considering they're still underdogs despite winning Game One, uh, or maybe try and and take that ten to one to win the Eastern Conference. But um, I mean, these are these are long shots. I'm not seeing huge value at this point. Um, this is why we preach trying to get these futures numbers uh, earlier as, as as best you can. One of the things I will say here, our friends at MGM have not updated some of these markets. And so just just to make sure that you stay away, there is state of the winning team is still offered. California is plus 475, but the Clippers are plus 500 for the championship. They are the only team from California that is still available. So do not bet that. And there's also New York at plus 110. The Nets are plus 115 to win the championship. They are the only team from New York remaining. So please just bet the team and the outright as opposed to what state the winning team is going to be from. They have not updated these odds here in this market. So uh, just just a heads up. On that one, um, a little bit of sports talk radio here, uh, Stephen, just outside of the betting markets with everything here. Uh, Luka Doncic was just absolutely fantastic in the playoffs for the Mavericks. He was getting basically no help whatsoever from his teammates. And you start to wonder here, you know, what they were able to do as a one man team and if they can go into the offseason and actually make some sort of meaningful acquisition and make some sort of meaningful move to get a legitimate number two in there for Luca, might be a team that I wouldn't mind just having kind of a long shot future on in my account should that happen. And then we can see how it all plays out because we saw what Luca can do when Luca is on and healthy. And if he could actually have a second option, which he does not have at all, do not tell me Christos Porzingis, do not even begin to say the guy that would rather hang out behind the three point line at over seven feet tall is the guy that is going to help Luca get to the next level. That's not going to happen. So, you know, if they can make some sort of impact signing or trade or whatever it might be, uh, the Dallas team I might be interested in, but um, you know, th- that would have to happen for, for me to be interested in them. But again, we, like you said, we like to get these futures in the accounts. And if I can get a super long shot price on the Mavericks heading into next year, if they can actually get an impact too. I think that's something I'll be looking for. I mean, you want to talk sports talk radio. We got to talk about your Luka Doncic tweet when you said that he's going to be better than Michael Jordan and LeBron James when it's all said and done, man. I mean, barring health, barring health, I said, (laughs) barring, barring health, I said, you could have the health. That is one hot take, my friend. Listen, look, the guy is 22 years old, doesn't turn 23 until February. And he's doing what he's doing right now. I mean, it is it is the absolute complete package of scorer, rebounder, assist. I mean, he does every all facets of the game. And so, yeah, it's very hard for me to see again. 
as long as he stays healthy, that he is not going to be right there in that conversation when it's all said and done. Because, I mean, he is going to have 12 years in the league and be 32. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to be 30. He's going to have 12 years of stats. He's only going to be 32. You know, I mean, like, it's it's like he's not even going to be old. He's going to be still going into, like, that kind of second-tier prime stage of his career. So, um, it, it's going to be pretty crazy for me monitoring him. So, yeah, but he, he was he was absolutely phenomenal. But there was, they just had no shot. I mean, like, you know, at the end of the day, he can score 44, 46, 42 like he was doing. But when he has no other scorers on the team, it doesn't really matter, which is kind of what I think is going to happen to this Nuggets team in this in the playoffs right now. It's kind of like, OK, let Joker have his 35 every night and then just dare the rest of that team to beat you. You know, it's like just dare the rest of that team to beat you. And I, I don't uh, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. The guy that they could potentially add that I have my eye on as well in Philadelphia uh, because he's an unrestricted free agent. And if. Dame Lillard doesn't want to be in Portland anymore, and Portland is is you know forced to do a, a sign in trade to get anything whatsoever back mm-hmm. for him. That could be a situation where Philly, if they finally just hit the eject button on Ben Simmons, I, I can't imagine another team would be able to give a better piece than Ben Simmons in a sign in trade for Dame yeah. Lillard. Uh, but if if he lands on the Mavericks with Luka Doncic, that would be exciting as hell as too. So that that's the big name this offseason that I'm keeping an eye on because we all know just how good and clutch that guy is. He's just a, a, a just a cold blooded assassin. So um, those two those two teams, the Sixers and the Mavericks in each conference, are the teams I'm going to be looking at, considering that other teams will be favored ahead of them when when the markets open up next season. Yeah, I'm with you. And of course, uh, we'll be following the NBA playoffs, everything that's going down over at thelines.com. So be sure and head over there, play picks as well. And then also our YouTube channel where we have daily breakdowns of each and every game and the lines and props and even DFS plays and things like that. So you can find our YouTube. There's a big button on the homepage of the lines.com. You can go in, click that, take you right to our YouTube page. Be sure and subscribe there. Everything we do is absolutely free and between me and Steven and the rest of the uh, the rest of the team that we've got, we're trying to hit up all of the big events and and break down all the stuff for you. So be sure and get all that stuff for free as well. Some not something we don't talk about a ton here on the podcast, which is why we invited a guest on to talk a little bit of soccer here. We are, you know, heading into some really big actual. I mean, this is again, me, Stephen and I, maybe not the biggest soccer betters in the world, but that we are heading into some really interesting area right now for soccer betting. So we wanted to bring in Alex Blowers and have him talk a little bit about soccer betting for you guys out there. So without further ado, here's Alex. Euro 2020 kicks off this week across the continent, and we are joined now by our soccer contributor, Alex Blowers, from our sister site, HighPressSoccer.com. And Alex, looking at this odds board, it doesn't seem like there is a a huge favorite, a pretty wide open field, at least according to the odds. If you look at this over at BetMGM, France, the favorite at plus 450 as we sit here right now as we record this pod. England, plus 550. Belgium plus 600 and then you have a quartet of teams sitting at eight to one Germany, Spain, Italy and Portugal. All of those teams before you get to the rest of the teams in the tournament at double digit odds. So uh, first question to you is France the deserving favorite and, and which of these teams at the top do you think has the best chance to win this tournament? The favorite France, they are. They are clearly they have the best squad going into the tournament. Uh, it's, it's different this year due to COVID. Squads have been increased from 23 to 26 man squads. Uh, and teams can use up to five subs. So with France having the best squad, the biggest depth, I think going through the, going through the competition, they will be able to definitely dominate, get to the final. And if you're going to bet on anyone, I'd bet France. So outside of that favorite, if, if you're a better that, that you know shies away from some from playing favorites, which of these other teams near the top of the board do you think might have the, the best chance to uh, maybe knock them off in the knockout stage or you know maybe they're on the other side of the bracket if they get to the final they have a chance to, to knock them out in these 
in these single match knockout round games. I mean, we just had Man City and Chelsea, an all England uh, Champions League final here. Is it England or, or is it one of these other teams here in the single digit odds that uh, are, we are so used to seeing as, as European powerhouses in these international tournaments? So being English, being English, you know, it's been very disappointing my whole life supporting them. First, we've got us a semi-finals. We've got a lot of positivity going into this going into this, uh, tournament, but it's a big issue because Trent Alexander-Arnold got injured. So Harry Maguire, our big centre back, is injured as well. Now, a lot of people thought Jesse Lingard or James Ward-Prowse would come in take Trent Trent's position, but. Uh, Southgate has gone with Ben White, which raises big concerns over Harry Maguire's fitness going into this competition. So I would, I think we're pretty weak at centre back. John Stones, John Stones is a quality player. I'm not convinced by Tyrone Mings at this level. He seems to lose his head a bit, can give away fouls. So attacking wise, we are great. Midfield as well, D, uh, Jordan Henderson only played 45 minutes yesterday. Mr. Penalty in a warm-up game. That was his first game, I think, since February. So with doubts over Maguire and Henderson, I don't think England is a good bet at plus 550. Let's move on to the golden boot market now, the, the top goal scorer over at BetMGM. And, um, you know, Harry Kane is the favorite at, at plus 600, actually the co-favorite with Lukaku Mbappe next on the board at plus 800 and then we get into some some double digit options uh, given that your pick is is the favorite France to win this tournament I would imagine that that picking an option from that team would be attractive to you and but we have uh, a favorite here in, in Harry Kane who is not French uh, so are you looking for one of the French players to also take this or uh, are you looking a different route? How, how do you handicap this market, given uh, what your opinion is in terms of who's going to win the tournament? So the thing with France is they're in a group with Portugal, Germany and Hungary. So I think they're not going to score many goals in the group stages. And also, their big front three, uh, Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann, and Karim Benzema, are all capable of scoring goals. They'll share the goal-scoring responsibility. There's also a question mark on who's going to be taking penalties. Mbappe was the designated penalty taker, but in a warm-up game against Wales recently, uh, Benzema stepped up. So it's unclear who has that responsibility. So I would shy away from those three. The two favourites currently are Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku, both at plus 600. They're the two I would put my money behind because the way the golden boot works is it's not just about how many goals you score. It goes if... So back in 2010, there was like three players on five goals scored. Thomas Miller won it because he had three assists. If players have the same amount of assists, it then goes down to minutes played. If you look at if you look at their season, both Kane and Romelu Lukaku have elevated their game this season with assists. So Harry Kane was top goal scorer in the Premier League with 24. He also finished top of assists with uh, 14 assists, and Romelu Lukaku came second in Serie A with 11 assists. So taking that into consideration, the fact that. Harry Kane is on penalties. Romelu Lukaku is on penalties as well. And there's issues over Kevin De Bruyne's fitness. Lukaku and Harry Kane will shoulder most of the goal scoring responsibility. So I would definitely put my money behind those two. Alex Blower is joining us from HighPressSoccer.com. Appreciate that insight on top score. Definitely, Alex, it's you know something that the casual fan uh, may not realize when you're handicapping that market. If there is a tie, what is what's who do you look for after that? So uh, let, let's wrap things up here with with some long shots. Um, I know just from perusing Twitter and, and and following some of the professional soccer sports betters from Europe, and um, there's some there's some projection sites out there that use some stat modeling. Uh, there's a couple long shots out there that that to me, if you looked at their championship probability, so to speak, 
they were not matching up with the implied probability of their odds. And one of those teams I saw was Austria, who is 100 to 1 at BetMGM, but I've seen them at 125 to 1, 140 to 1 in certain spots. And I'm not gonna gonna lie to you, Alex. I'm I can't name one single player on Austria. I'm not a I'm not a huge soccer guy, but as a numbers guy, when I see implied probabilities that say they should be more in the 20 to 41 range, and we're getting 100 to one or longer at different spots, that that gets my attention. So, is Austria for real? Maybe because of an easier path to possibly get to the quarterfinal. Uh, and make a run here? Or are you looking elsewhere for a long shot? Uh, and and perhaps this is the right tournament to do it, right? I mean, Euro 2016, Iceland was the big Cinderella to make a run deep into that tournament. We've seen it in the past with other uh, squads as well. So um, what, do you like what you see with Austria or is there another long shot there that you're kind of looking at as well? No, I do like Austria a lot. Uh, their squad, um, the league I follow that, I wrote about the most is the Bundesliga. It's my favourite league. And their squad is stacked with solid Bundesliga talent. And they've got a couple of elite quality players in David Alaba and Marcel Sabitzer. David Alaba has uh, been at Bayern Munich for eight, for 10 years. His whole career, he's now about to move to Real Madrid. I uh, can play left-back, centre-back, centre-midfield. Marcel Sabitzer is an awesome, technically gifted set-piece specialist. And up front, they've got a young player, uh, Sasa Kalajic. He's one of the game's rising stars. He's six foot seven, but he's excellent uh, technically, great with the ball at his feet. So yeah, at plus, at plus 100, no, 100 to one, they are definitely, uh, definitely good value and could be a surprise package at Euro 2020. I like it, and and they can avoid that group of death until late into the knockout stage if they move on. They, you know, hopefully they finish top two, so they get a little easier draw and, and not have to worry about that third place uh, finish and the and the tougher draw that comes with that. So, all right, so we're riding Austria in Euro twenty twenty for Cinderella. All right. Alex Blowers, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at RegistaPicks from HighPressSoccer.com. Alex, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Stephen, real good, uh, real good breakdown there. And also thanks, Alex, for for coming on. I'll admit I probably bet soccer the least out of anything out there. You know, like I bet I bet hockey, which I very rarely bet. I bet tennis. I bet whatever. I, I bet any of these things probably more than I bet soccer. So uh, getting a little bit of insight there is certainly nice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is, you know, what makes a good sports betting podcast, right? I mean, it's impossible for any host to be an expert in every sport and the ones that tout that they are. I mean, you should be skeptical of that. So when we get to a sport that that you and I are are not as as, um, you know, well versed in, then we're going to bring in an expert that that knows it better than us mm-hmm. so that we can get, bring so that we can bring that to you guys, the audience, and and get better perspective than what we would be able to provide. So uh, this is now officially an Austria podcast, a Team Austria podcast. For the there audience. it is. There, there we go. We're 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 in on this. I might I will be going when we get done. I will make that bet. I will. I'm going to practice what I preach here, Stephen. So I'm going to be that guy that does that. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's talk about the very very big news that happened in the NFL, and it wasn't a surprise. It was just news that we knew was happening. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. And that, of course, is the trade of Julio Jones from the Atlanta Falcons to the Tennessee Titans. The Titans throw back a second round pick. That's the main crux of the deal is they also took on all of Julio Jones salary, which was a thing that we know the reason why the Falcons had to move him in the first place. They were in cap hell. And with that, they needed to move Julio Jones and they really needed to move some of that salary. So um, this is where we sit and what this did to the odds, which was actually fairly wacky. Um, the Titans were 40 to one to win the Super Bowl before the trade. They are now 25 
to one to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, that is just a ridiculous move, in my opinion. The AFC, they go from 18 to 12. The AFC South, which actually I I think you and I both had them as the favorites anyway. I I at least did in the AFC South as it was. Uh, They go from plus 130 to plus 110. I don't mind that move. I still think that there's value there on the plus 110 with them in the AFC South. The win total does go from 9 to 10. That being said, it's heavily, heavily juiced on the under if you want the under 10 the two make the playoffs goes from minus 118 to minus 167 um let's start here with the super bowl odds and and steven i mean listen i think you and i i mean you kind of giggled i kind of giggled listen at the end of the day a wide receiver is not worth dropping from 40 to 25 to one. I mean, Julio Jones is fantastic. He is probably one of the best, if not the best receiver of the last decade for us to like, you know, if we break down top to bottom production and what they bring to the table and, and all of that. But I mean, there is a lot that goes into winning a, a championship in the NFL and to drop from 40 to 25 with the signing of a wide receiver is just absolute, absolute ridiculousness when it comes to Joe. Listen, 40 to 35, sure, I'll give you that. If you wanted to even go to 32-ish or something like that, you know, okay, I'll at least buy in a little bit, a little bit of a move there. They were desperately in need of a second pass catcher there, having lost their number two and three options in Corey Davis and Jonu Smith. But the 40 to 25 is just laughable. I mean, some of these teams that are now at 25 to 1 to win the Super Bowl at BetMGM, just hilarious to me. I mean, we obviously we mentioned the Titans, the Dolphins, 25 to 1, the Broncos, it's 25 to 1. That's priced thinking that they're going to get Deshaun Watson right. or Aaron Rodgers at this point. I mean, you can't bet that right now. The Patriots at 25 to 1 are probably going to start uh, a rookie quarterback for most of this season. Um, I, I mean, and then, you know, you have the Seahawks and the Colts, so I think you can justify. So um, this this year to me seems really top heavy. I mean, I remember last year, day before Tom Brady signed, it looked like he was going to go to Tampa Bay. Um, they were still sitting out there at 50 to one. There was an opportunity there. I don't see an opportunity like that this year in Super Bowl futures. I think this yeah. is extremely top heavy this year. Um, the, the farthest I would go down the board personally would probably be either the Browns at 14 to one with how well-rounded and strong that roster is, or I'm taking a stab on an NFC East team just to get to the playoffs and bank some value on their, on their crazy that's, odds right now. That, that's where I was saying. I said Washington at 66 would be the place that I would look strictly because again, the half of it is just getting into the tournament. And so right. if you if, if if you get into the tournament and that being the easiest route to getting into the tournament, at least you'd be holding a 66 to one on a team that, you know, could get into the tournament and in, in, out of a division that we expect to be, again, a pretty poor and down division. So, yeah, I mean, like Washington is 66. I could buy into at least. And there's at least a line to be drawn that, hey, they at least have an easier route to getting into the playoffs than most of these other teams do. So I'm with you. Like it's 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 either like Washington at 66, or you're gonna find me up in some of these like more favorite type teams because again, they're just how much better the Chiefs, Bucks, Rams, Ravens, Bills, and in my opinion, the Browns. I'm super, super high on the Browns this year, are than all of these other teams, I think is pretty exponential. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I know the Colts have a really well-rounded roster and you got the narrative with Carson Wentz uh, rejoining his old offensive coordinator. But I, he was so he was so damn bad last year. Yeah, and just a lot so bad. of it and it, it was not all the offensive line. Like, no. that was, I know that was the excuse. A lot of at least here in Philly, a lot of talk radio was was saying. But I mean, there are stories that came out after the season about they would be in meetings and the the play would be set up for him to literally just look at his first read and throw it to his first read and he didn't and he would make an excuse mm-hmm. in the meetings that well it wasn't there well no the tape says it was there so a just basic stuff that Carson Wentz couldn't do last year um i i think he's wrecked uh i i know they're going to be on a run heavy team this year where a lot less is going to be expected of him um but i am not high on the Colts in comparison to these other top AFC teams. 
Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we, we, we keep talking about this, but it's just, you know, what the Bucks bring to the table, the Chiefs bring to the table, the Rams with the acquisition of Stafford to actually have a quarterback that can can perform at a level that might take you to a championship. We've seen what the Ravens can do. Can Lamar become a little bit more consistent passer? The Bills, I mean, all upside on that Bills team. The Browns on paper, one of the best defenses in the league to go with one of the more up and coming offenses in all the leagues. I mean, there's just so much to like about that upper tier that it's very hard for me to get to some of these other teams in this, uh, in this middle tier, but let's talk a little bit more about this Julio Jones, because one of the things that did come out recently was his yardage prop. And, you know, they were saying, Hey, look, you know, receiving, receiving yards for Julio Jones and what is it going to look like? And how does, how's that going to break down comes in at 1100 and a half yards, of course. So you need 1101 yards in order for this thing to cash. And, you know, um, you and I uh, have some differing views on this because you think that this is a dead under. Let's throw down right now, man, because you think this is a dead (laughs) over. I think this is a dead under. Uh, personally, I think that this projection is closer to his ceiling in Tennessee uh, than it is his floor. And a couple reasons for that. Um, if you look at Julio Jones over the last three years, 14.6 yards per catch. So to hit this, he would need 76 receptions, which doesn't sound like a ton, right, in today's NFL. But nobody on the Titans has reached that number of receptions in the past two years, even adjusted for an extra game this year. And that team averaged nine fewer pass attempts per game than Atlanta did in 2020 with Julio Jones there. Uh, On top of that, Julio Jones caught two thirds of his targets over the past three years. So on a per target basis, he would need 113 targets to get to 1101 yards. That's seven and a half targets per game over 15 games. So, you know, we'll, we'll bank in here, maybe misses a couple of games. Corey Davis last year, their number two wide receiver, only averaged six and a half targets per game. Their number one wide receiver, A.J. Brown, only averaged seven and a half targets per game. So to me, Matt, and I'm curious why you, you like the over here. To me, a lot has to go right here for Julio. He has to stay healthy. The Titans need to throw a lot more than they have in the past two years. Um, and, and you know, I, a lot has to happen. A lot has to go right. I got, I got some more bullets in the, in the gun here for you, but I want to hear your side first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so look, it, I can understand your, the, the comparables and, and like, like trying to go with a comp of, of Corey Davis. But I mean, like Corey, Corey Davis and Julio Jones are so asked, like, like in so completely different stratospheres when it comes to wide receivers and talent and what they can do and their abilities out on the field. And when you take a look here, I, I understand you breaking it down to a per target basis, but Julio just lives in a different world than most people. Uh, if you look at, at what Julio has done, and granted, it is a different offense, but they're going to use him in this way as well. 35% of his targets went for 15 more, 15 or more yards. That's the highest rate by six percentage points amongst wide receivers with at least 50 targets. Before the 2020 season, five straight seasons inside the, inside the top three in all wide receivers in pro football focus grade in a five-year span, he had 225 receptions that went for 15 or more yards, which was 50 more than the next closest guy. 5-0, 50 more than the next closest guy. And if you look at what Ryan Tannehill does well, he threw more passes in the middling range of 6 to 19 yards than any quarterback in the league. He led the league in passing between six and 19 air yards. Julio Jones is only behind DeAndre Hopkins over the last three seasons in points earned per game in those in those types of passes. So you, what you have here as well is Julio has never worked with another elite receiver either. And so what you're going to get is 
a lot of single coverage on Julio Jones. He is going to get a massive amount of single coverage because they can't double cover him and leave AJ. It's going to be both of these guys out there feasting. And so whenever I look at, at the numbers here and I understand that we have to do, we do have to adjust that, that this is going to be, you know, maybe there is a couple of, of injury injury games, whatever. Listen, he had a bad injury season last year, but before that he had five straight seasons where he only missed three games total. So I I mean, we're, we're kind of recency biasing here on this whole Julio Jones is injury prone thing when really it was, yeah, I mean, it was last season he was hurt. And like, we remember that because it was last season, but um, that's, uh, that's not really the case over the course of his career. And if he plays all 17, we're talking a little over 64 yards a game. If we, if we knock that down to 16 games, he's got to get to 69 yards a game. If we knock that down to 15 games, he's got to get to 75 yards per game. This is, is, this is like easily, easily averageable for Julio Jones to get to that 1100 yards here. Because if you don't think that Julio is going to have a couple of 150, 160, 170 yard games, then I think that we're, we're kind of kidding ourselves because what's going to happen here is the balance that this, that this Titans team has now is going to really, really open up some massive gaps for, for AJ Brown and for Julio Jones. And um, again, I think the only way, and we cannot bank on injury. So that, like, if you're going to bet these futures, you just have to assume health. And if he, unless he misses half the season, which again is is possible. I mean, you know, he is a 32 year old guy now. But if he misses half the season, then then it's going to go down in flames. But outside of that, um, you know, assuming assuming majority of the season health, I think he blasts over this 1100 yard total. All right. So a couple things. I would never bet an under banking on him to miss significant time to me i'm always going to project these props based on you know maybe a game a game and a half or two of missed time because that's you know typical in the nfl i think that's what most uh projectionists do that's what most fantasy football projection experts do as well so to me i'm looking at 15 or 16 games here for julio jones when i'm trying to do this so um, and I agree with you that he is not Corey Davis. He is absolutely more talented than Corey Davis will ever be. To me, it's 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 more of a concern about volume than it is efficiency. He is fantastic. He is, you know, one of the best receivers of his generation in terms of efficiency. My concerns here are are the team that he went to. I mean, the Titans were one of the three most run-heavy offenses in the NFL last year, and they were top five run-heavy in every game script scenario, whether they were in the lead, tied, or trailing. In all of those situations, they were one of the top five most run-heavy teams. And if you look at what they did on their coaching staff, they lost Arthur Smith, ironically, to Atlanta. How did they replace him? They kept it in-house. They promoted from within to make Todd Downing the offensive coordinator. That, to me, at least signals that they're not going to change too much. I think Mike Vrabel has a say in, as well in what they want to be as an offense as the head coach. So, And now on top of that, we look historically at Julio Jones and his age and what others of his talent have done to get to this 17-game, 1,100-yard equivalent. Since 2010... No age 32 or older wide receiver reached that 17-game, 1,100-yard equivalent without at least 129 targets. They needed volume to get there. Every single one on that list was the alpha wide receiver one on their team, and they needed 129 targets to get there at that age. A.J. Brown had 106 targets last year to lead the team, and even if we add an extra game in there, it's still not coming to that 129 targets. I'm concerned that A.J. Brown won't get much higher than 1,100 yards. And now you factor in Julio Jones. I understand that the offense is going to change. There are vacated targets with Corey Davis gone and Jonu Smith gone. But the overall identity of this offense is my concern with Julio Jones as well. And also the historical nature of a receiver at his age needing volume to get to that over. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's why I believe that this number is priced closer to the ceiling based on the system that he went to than it is to his floor. 
Yeah, uh, it, you know, one of the things I, I mean, again, we're like you said, I know you're factoring all the stuff in. AJ Brown missed basically missed three games last year. He missed two outright games and then left early in another game. Um, so basically missed three entire games last year. So again, if you uh, health is always going to be a concern with all these deals. That being said, I mean, he did go for 1,075 yards, um, so he would have missed the 1,100 by 25 yards, missing three games uh, throughout the course of the season. It's a 17-game season this year as opposed to a 16-game season. So something to keep in mind with all of that. It'll be interesting. We'll log this one. Certainly, we will track this one, and certainly you and I will uh, will be debating this one as the season. That's what con- we do, though, man. We, we lay out there. all of our we lay out all of our opinions on both sides, and then we let the betters and the listeners decide for themselves. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. So we had some interesting stuff uh, go down at the memorial. Stephen and I touch on that in just a second after these words from our friends over at BetMGM. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 5 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Steven, not much to to go on here. Just kind of want to do a quick little take here from us. I know you have at least a couple of guys you're looking at for the Palmetto. I don't know if I'm even going to play the Palmetto this week. I've really been looking forward to the U.S. Open. I've already started digging into that, and so that's kind of where my attention is going to lie this week. But John Rahm, after three rounds, up by six strokes, gets disqualified, test positive for COVID, and with that, we end up with two guys at 12 under going into the thinking that they were going to be playing for second place, end up battling it out for first place in the 1.6 million. I might add first prize. Yes. 1.6 million is what happened to John Rom there, which by the way, he would have won the tournament with like three clubs in his bag. That's how, that's how much he would have cruised to victory. He could have been able to, he could have yeah. tin cupped it Kevin Costner style with a seven iron. Yeah, yeah. I think if he'd have gone out there with a three wood, a seven iron, and a putter, he would have won. He'd have won the memorial. And so uh even worse for him that that's the way that that all went down. But uh the big news on gambling Twitter is where I really want to go uh with this is that everybody is up in arms about what the books have decided to do with all this. Some of the books decided to pay out John Rahm as a winner in cash. Some people decided to pay out John Rahm as a winner in site credits. Some people decided to refund bets on John Rahm. And then some people just went ahead and marked the bet as loser. Now, Stephen, here's the deal. And these books can't win, right? Because the the books that did it are are catching flack for like doing it. And the books that didn't do it are catching flack for not doing it. And the book, like everything, no, you can't win apparently, no matter what you do, whether you paid out or whether you didn't or whatever, there's no winning apparently on gambling Twitter with this. But like, I I mean, my take on this is fairly simple. It's kind of like, hey man, to each their own, right? I mean, this is the thing that you and I have kind of talked about here a few different times on this podcast is that different books cater to different type of clients and different books cater to different type of betters. And so if you feel that paying out on a withdrawal after three rounds is detrimental in the long term to your sports book, then don't do it. And that's fine because you're not expected to do it. And like the fact that people are coming at you for, for making that choice is ridiculous. And then on the flip side, if you feel that it is beneficial to your sports book in the long term to either pay out or pay out in credit or refund or whatever it might be, then by all means do that too. And it's ridiculous for people to talk crap about you for doing that. I mean, these some of these books cater to more sophisticated better. Some cater to more recreational and casual betters who don't even understand the, about the, the withdrawal rule in a golf bet. They 
probably most likely put down $10 on John Rahm. And, and so it's, it's, it's one of those things where if it creates a little bit of goodwill and you think it's good for you long-term, by all means do it. If you think it creates confusion and you think it's detrimental long-term, then by all means don't do it. But there is no right answer. There is no wrong answer. I think it is all book dependent and people who are jumping up and down saying that they did it wrong or they did it right or both of these people are wrong. I think they're just completely, completely out of tune with how this all goes down. I can't disagree with anything you just said. And the only thing I will add to that is what my opinion and advice would be to the casual sports fans and the casual sports bettors out there. And that's just simply don't expect a refund if you have a exactly. bad feed. Don't feel entitled to the point where if this happens in a similar situation in the future that you feel like you deserve a refund. Because what really happened here with all of these sports books is that this happened to a player where the book had a very small handle and a very small liability on John Rom. If they would have lost a lot of money on John Rom winning this championship, there's no way in hell that they would have done all of this bad beat karma, um, you know, goodwill gesture type stuff. I mean, this was a marketing ploy to try and get some free pub and some good uh, publicity to their betters. So um, just don't be one of those people. Like to me, that's the equivalent of, you know, a parent yelling at players in a little league game or, you know, tweeting your favorite player when they had a bad game for your fantasy football team. You know, just understand that in the world of sports betting that we live in now with all of these online sports books in a lot of states, if that happens, consider it as a bonus that you right. weren't expecting. Don't consider it as it's a pleasant surprise. Than yes. Exactly. A yes. Pleasant surprise. Right. And then don't take shots at other books who don't do it because they simply are thinking about all of the other betters who had bets on every mm -hmm. other player in that event or in that tournament. And they want people to follow the same rules no matter who they bet on. So, I mean, it's it's a Fortunately, more situations like this don't happen in the future as we get more and more athletes vaccinated in this COVID world that we live in, um, and it doesn't happen as often. But this this is more so uh, just uh, another residual effect of the COVID pandemic that we live in, and just understand that it's a pleasant surprise if and when it happens. Exactly. In the if you got it feel awesome about it. If you didn't get it, you didn't deserve it. It wasn't deserved to be given to you. So it's just look at it that way and move on. It's a, it was a very awkward and weird circumstance. I mean, one that we've never seen before. Typically these guys test positive before the tournament even starts. And so like, you don't have to worry about your guy having a six stroke lead heading into the final round. So it was certainly uh, a situation we'll probably never see again, but, uh, but again, a, a weird one at that. If you got it, great on you. Awesome. Pump your fist. Uh, you know, give the money back to your book, whatever you want to do. And if you didn't get it, you didn't deserve it anyway. So it's not like it was owed to you and at the all. Last but, thing, yeah. And the last thing I'll just say on this is that, I mean, we, how, how many years did we wait in this country to get legalized sports betting outside of, of Las Vegas and Nevada? Like it took a long time. And now we're at this point Let's not finally get to this point and just start bitching and moaning about stuff, right? <laughs> right. Like sports betting right. is supposed to be fun. It took a long time and a lot of hard work for us to get to this point. Let's not take this opportunity to now complain about bad beat karma and books that don't give it to you, all right? Let's Bro. just enjoy the ride and have fun with this awesome, wonderful thing that we love to do in sports betting. Bro, and we're going to move on, but like, bro, I saw someone who was complaining that they got paid out in credit as opposed to they were getting they were mad that they got paid out but it was in credit as opposed to in actual cash that they could Don't withdraw and I'm, like, I'm like Don't what are you doing person. what are you doing um steven like look I, neither one of us are going very hard on the palmettos so just just give your couple of long shots here and we'll we'll move on because this isn't we're, we're going to spend a ton of time on the u.s open and we are really yeah. going to go super in depth with that and you know i think that that's where a lot of people should probably start focusing their their efforts anyway but uh who are the couple guys you're looking at here yeah, just a couple long shots that I'm looking at. If I'm if I'm looking at a field with a bunch of like nobodies that uh, that aren't 
playing well, then I'm not taking a long shot bet on them because they're mm-hmm. less likely to to bounce back and play well enough to win a tournament than some of the best players in the world. So if I'm taking a long shot, I'm looking at really recent form. Hank Lebiota is a guy that I'm looking at, one of my old web.com tour guys that I used to cover. He's playing really well over his last 12 rounds and a good fit for this course. And then other than that, I mean, among the long shots that most of these guys aren't playing well enough to win a tournament, but at least maybe you can take a shot at Luke List, who has the course record at Congaree to maybe have an outside shot to contend here. And then the last guy, there is one long shot who's a long shot because he's coming over from the European tour, Garrick Higo. And Higo has actually won two tournaments in the past couple of months and actually has two top tens as well, in addition to those wins in the past couple of months. So those tournaments are basically the equivalent of an alternate site PGA event when there's the week of a world golf championship. But take out Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka, and that's basically what this tournament is anyway. So um, if I'm looking at these other long shots, at least I'm getting a guy at Higo at 50 to one who's actually won something not once but twice in the past couple of months. We have UFC 263 on tap this weekend, and we brought in Dan Stupp, the former uh, editor-in-chief of MMAJunkie.com, who is now working with us over here, but uh, brings over a decade of experience, still definitely all into UFC MMA and knows how to bet this as well. So here's a few minutes with Dan. Now join us here on the pod, a very special friend of mine, longtime owner and proprietor of MMAJunkie.com, now working us with us over here at PlayVirginia.com, Dan Stupp. Dan, appreciate you joining us, man. Really do appreciate it. No problem. Nice talking to a, a fellow MMA OG from back in the day. It is absolutely crazy that this is UFC 263. My first live event was UFC 63. So the to think that it has been 200 pay-per-views since, uh, since I walked into an arena for the first time and, and took in a UFC event live, it just seems, it seems wacky, man. But, uh, but here we are. Yeah, it was UFC uh, 63 for me, so I, or uh, 68 for me, so I'm closing in on those 200 pay-per-views, and then we forget there's probably 500 other lower-level uh, <laughs> events mixed in there, so 200 sounds like a lot, but it's actually probably been closer to, I don't know, 20,000, it feels like sometimes. It is, is absolutely <laughs> wacky. Um, so let's take a look at the card here, and you know, two different prelims like normal. You'll have the, the ESPN Plus uh, prelims, and you'll have the prelims that'll be on ESPN. And then, of course, we'll go to the main pay-per-view card. If we start out with that preliminary ESPN Plus card, the four fights on there, anything that jumps off the page to you as anything that you might be looking to bet or any of the fights that jump off the page to you as maybe something that you'll be looking forward to watching? Yeah, traditionally, just, you know, I am uh, probably a couple of years into MMA betting um, semi-seriously, and, and I've kind of learned over the years that the the small dogs uh, definitely bark if you can, you know, I think a lot of fights are kind of 50-50, pick them fights, and then, you know, kind of fight weak momentum, swing somebody to a, a bigger favorite, and then you got your small, you know, a, a, an underdog there, but uh, for whatever reason, I, I'm kind of really big on on small favorites on this card, and and one that really sticked out or sticks out to me from the early prelims is that Chase Hooper Stephen Peterson fight. Um, I, you know, obviously people are have been really big on on Chase Hooper. He's a, a fun guy. You know, the uh, looks like it really does look like Ben Askren's uh, uh, son here. But uh, great jujitsu, uh, really good on the ground, has a lot of hype. But I, I just I feel like he's facing kind of a, a bad matchup here in Steven Peterson. I, I think the one thing that uh, really works against Hooper here is just Peterson's durability and, and the fact that he's never been, you know, uh, submitted. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously that's uh, probably Chase Hooper's best avenue to a, a win here. Yeah. As you mentioned, Hooper, um, a little bit of a little bit of a dog here, minus 105, but at minus 115 on Steven Peterson. Uh, as we head to the ESPN preliminary card, a few names on the, I think, here that even the casual fan will certainly recognize, but anything here on the ESPN prelims? 
Yeah, I think there's a really intriguing women's flyweight fight between uh, Lauren Murphy, who's um, uh, really kind of moving up the ranks uh, late in her career and, and has had that late career resurgence. Uh, but I, I think she's facing a, a bad matchup in Joanne Calderwood, who's uh, about a one third plus 130 uh, underdog. Um, you know, Murphy is tough. She's been in there uh, with just about everybody. Uh, she's, uh, you know, I heard someone uh, kind of refer to her as a meat and potatoes fighter. Mm-hmm. You, you know what you're getting. She's tough. She's durable. I, I just think Calderwood's volume, um, you know, uh, she she's susceptible to submissions, which we've seen. But I don't think Murphy's really a, a, a threat in that department. Um, you know, the biggest concern with Joanne is it, it, it seems like you get a completely different fighter sometimes from one bout to the next. Uh, but I think this is a, a good matchup for her. And at plus money, I, I really like that. So let's head over to the main card here. And whenever we take a look at the main card, uh, I will go kind of fight by fight here and then see if you don't, you know, if you have a pick, awesome. If not, just maybe give us your thoughts here on how this is going to go. But let's kick things off here in the light heavyweight division. Paul Craig, Jamal Hill. Yeah, uh, actually going back real quick, I, I just said Calderwood was the uh, small underdog. She's actually a, a small favorite, so mm-hmm. uh, just to correct that. But yeah, that that, uh, that fight's uh, going to be a good one. Um, you know, I I think Jamal Hill is, is definitely kind of the, uh, the the future of the division. Um, he, he's still young in his career. Um, Paul Craig is a, a crafty submission guy, but I, I think kind of everything in this fight works in Hill's favor. I, I think for Craig to win, he's going to definitely have to get it to the ground. And I know Hill's been taken down before, uh, but he's got a, a really good get up game. You know, every time he's been taken down, he, he gets up pretty quickly. And I think we've seen with Paul Gregg just that that effort to get fights to the ground. It, it, it saps him of energy. It just mm. wears on him. And against a, a prolific fighter, a top prospect like Hill, I, I think that's going to be trouble for him. Hill uh, minus 300 over at Bet MGM if you want to go in that direction. A guy that is certainly, if you've been around the block, you recognize the name Damian Maya. He will be fighting in the welterweight division at UFC 263 as well. Yeah, I, I'm definitely prepared to make myself really sad by watching this fight again <laughs> because I hate seeing Damian Maya lose. Uh, he is definitely one of the sports good guys. He's kind of been around as long as you and I have been around covering the sport, and you're going to be hard pressed. It may be impossible to find anyone saying a bad thing about him. Uh, but again, I just I think this is a bad matchup. Um, you know, obviously his his path to victory is submissions, and I think you know Bilal Muhammad is uh, crafty enough. He can get up. Uh, obviously, he's going to have an advantage on the feet. Uh, I know he's a, a pretty big favorite in this fight, and, and, and probably rightfully so. Uh, but I actually really like him, uh, you know, inside the distance at like plus 300, three to one odds on him uh, finishing Maya, who's definitely on the tail end of his mm-hmm. career, and 43 years old and has limited paths to victory in this fight. I, I just, I really like that play. Heading, uh, staying in the welterweight division, another name that everyone will certainly recognize. Yes, it is a Diaz brother. Nate Diaz steps in against Leon Edwards as we sit right now. Nate Diaz, a big underdog, plus 375-ish range. Edwards in the minus 500-ish range. Uh, Dan, does this price seem about right to you for a guy in Diaz that while the name value is there, uh, certainly been inactive for a really long time and despite the fact that he's a fan favorite as well, his results inside the cage are actually are actually more in the 500 ish range than they are of a guy that has, you know, really earned all of this, uh, all of this love that he gets from the fans. Yeah. It's a little easier to, to kind of jump on the bandwagon when, when you see them fighting regularly. And, and a lot of times he stepped up to the big fights and stuff. Uh, it, it's so hard to know what we're getting the, you know, these days mm-hmm. The you, you have to question the motivation. You, you don't have to question the conditioning or kind of his, um, his uh, just ability to, you know, go out there and tough out a, a tough out a, a fight and, 
Um, Again, I know Leon Edwards has had uh, a fairly big layoff the past few years um, and has not fought very often, uh, just a victim of circumstances and and all kinds of other stuff. But I I think this minus 600 line or or minus 500, wherever he's at, it's more than justified. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's just so many question marks around Diaz. I think Edwards obviously understands that um, this is his opportunity to, to really make a name. And I mean, the biggest kind of question mark in this fight is, is why Nate Diaz took it to begin with. Right. I, I think it's a, a bad matchup for him. Usually he gets uh, excited for the big name matchups. Obviously, we all remember the, the Conor McGregor fights. Uh, he has very, very little to gain in this fight, um, you know, and granted, he's, he doesn't have much to lose either. But uh, for a guy who, uh, you know, his ego kind of carries him through a lot of fights, you know, he, he doesn't like to be disrespected. Uh, obviously, those odds have to disrespect him. Um or make him feel disrespected. But I, I just, I don't see kind of how he wins this fight. And for me, I think the big wild card in this fight, and I've mentioned it, you know, with uh, not just Nate Diaz, but Nick Diaz, is th- those guys have accumulated so much scar tissue. Um, you know, this fight was uh, originally, I think, scheduled for a main event on another card and mm-hmm. it got pushed back, but they went ahead and kept it five rounds. Um, so this will be the first of, of three five scheduled five round fights. I, I just I think with Nate Diaz's scar tissue, uh, with Edward striking, with this going twenty five minutes, I just I like I wish I could bet on a prop that this ends via cut, you know, mm-hmm. via too much blood because right. I really think that's going to happen. Especially you know with Nate pulling guard and and being comfortable on the ground, I can just see Edwards opening him up from the top with elbows. There is at BetMGM a will the fight go the distance? Yes and no. The no minus one twenty five. So if you wanted to kind of go with what Dan is leaning at on that one, certainly you can get in at minus 125 on a no, the fight will not go the distance. Uh, I think that also covers you kind of, you know, with Diaz kind of fluke submission. Obviously, we can't discount that possibility. So I figured that, you know, that's a good way to play that because it kind of covers two paces, two bases. So first of two title fights here in the flyweight division, Davidson Figueredo and then Brandon Moreno. Uh, actually, both of these uh, next two championship fights have, have happened before uh, previously in their careers. Uh, what do you think about Figueredo and Moreno? Yeah, that first fight, you know, is obviously fairly recent and it ended in a, ended in a draw and it, it was just a, a fantastic fight. Uh, I was pretty big on, on you know, little Figgy Smalls in, in that mm-hmm. fight. Um, I, I was actually surprised that, that Moreno uh, kept it as competitive as he did. But there's a few things here. One, I, I felt like uh, Figueredo kind of maybe not clearly, but definitely won that first fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I would favor him in the second one. Second one. Uh, and the fact that he's had uh, more of a traditional fight camp and not that quick turnaround like he did last time, uh, I think that definitely works in his favor. And and again, it's it's anecdotal, but when you think about kind of the the big rematches in this sport, uh, very rarely you know will you get a five round um, you know uh, fight of the night followed mm-hmm. by another uh, full five rounder. It just seems like. Second time around, guys, you know, make the adjustments and we see quicker finishes and stuff. So I I really like Figueroa inside the distance here. I I still think it's going to probably be an early favorite for fight of the night. I I still think it's going to be a fantastic fight. But I think, you know, over the course of five rounds with a full fight camp and have fought fought him once before and and making those adjustments, I just really like uh, the ability of the champ here to to retain and and finish it before the, the final bell. Over at MGM, if you did want to um if you did want to bet figueredo minus 225 and will the fight go the distance you can get a no price of minus 120 in that one our main event of the evening israel adesanya versus marvin vittori uh this also a fight that has happened previously um uh, this one although being a couple of years ago adesanya a minus 275 favorite vittori plus 210 yeah, I think that line is probably about right. Obviously, they, they fought before. I'm not putting too much stock mm-hmm. in that fight. It, it was a while ago. Obviously, the guys are, are still kind of the similar fighters, but have definitely rounded out their skills. Um, for me, I just kind of keep coming back to, I, I think uh, Adesanya is going to punish uh, Vittori's aggression. I think he's obviously the, the quicker fighter. Um, you know, we 
I think too many people are looking back when Adesanya moved up to 205 to to fight Blackowitz, the the mm-hmm. champ there, a, a few months ago, and and obviously I think he was outsized. I think it was you know uh, just a little too much for him, and I think people are probably putting a little too much stock into that. Uh, I, I fully expect Adesanya to look and and fight like the bigger fighter in this one. Um, you know, in, in Vittoria, that, that guy fights with so much raw emotion, which uh, can be a good thing. But I think against kind of a, a technical striker like this, a, a guy who knows how to counter strike, uh, a guy who's going to be patient. I, I just think over the long haul, uh, the champ is going to get his openings. And uh, some of the bets I like, I, I don't know if they're available in all the sports books yet, but um I, I really like him to, to kind of chip away toward the end and maybe get a, a stoppage uh, Adesanya in round three or four or five, mm-hmm. the, the later rounds. And all of those have uh, plus odds, like a plus 1,000, plus 1,500. Yeah. I think even round five is plus 2,500. So I, I could see sprinkling on those three rounds and, and hoping for a late stoppage. Yeah, if you wanted to bet those, the round betting over at BetMGM, uh, Adesanya in round three, 12 to one, 20 to one in round four, and then 28 to one in round five. I'm with you on Adesanya as well. I think a lot of people are going to look at that fight where he looked I mean, let's just face it, he looked pretty bad, but again, he was moving up massively in a weight class, and it was just not a very smart move, and I think if you asked him, you know, if you gave him truth serum, and he had to give you honest answer as to whether he would do that again, Dan, I think he'd probably tell you no, because of the way that he looked, and and the way that that was on his body and everything, and you know, at his natural weight class, I still think he is one of the very best in the game. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to try to become a two-division champ or jump divisions, if nothing else, kind of like we saw, um, you know, we've seen it with other guys where at least they were competitive, at least it was an interesting fight, you know, like a a Holloway, you can at least say he kept it competitive, you know, he hung with the bigger guy, but, uh, you know... that was just such kind of a bad idea for him. I, I think he's that probably lit a fire under him. He's ready to come back and dominate uh, the 185 pounders. If you want to follow Dan on Twitter and you should at Dan D a N N stup S T U P P. And of course, follow all his great work over on play Virginia as well. Dan really appreciate having you, man. And hopefully we win some money this weekend. For sure. And we got to get back on press row at a USC event sometime soon and raise some hell. I agree. It'd be super fun. It's all about the, it's all about the, uh, it's all about the hotel lobby hangs anyway. Right? Like that's what, that's what it's all about. Anyway. Uh, I appreciate it. Talk to, talk to you soon, man. Great. Thanks, Matt. Steven is crazy talking to Dan. I've known him for a very, very, very long time. Crazy that we are coming up on, UFC 263. I used to work in the MMA industry. My first live UFC event was UFC 63. So there have been 200 pay-per-views since the first live uh, UFC that I, that I went to. So it, uh, it's pretty crazy. But Dan is a real sharp guy. Been around the sport a super long time. And so uh, glad to have him on our team as well. Whenever we need to turn to someone who is still super, super sharp when it comes to uh, UFC and MMA betting and stuff like that. And refreshing to watch some real fights this weekend after the quote unquote legalized <laughs> bank robbery that was uh, Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul last week. So I, I agree with you. Down. I know. Seriously, I agree with you 100 percent on that. Guys, as we said, as always, look, we have all of this break broken down in written form over at the lines.com over at playpicks.com. And again, if you go to the home page of the lines, there's a big button right there in the middle of the page that says YouTube click on that. That'll take you to our YouTube page and hit the subscribe button. We are cranking out videos. We're cranking out little shorts. We're cranking out all kinds of stuff in order to uh, to help keep you informed on everything that's going on. Again, everything we do is free. Everything we do on the website's free. So be sure and take in all the written and video content as well. For Steven, I am Matt. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>